0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our Sermon Cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. That I skipped the second half of chapter 11 because I knew we would be doing Lord's Supper. And then this morning, uh, we are actually going back to that passage because we, as a church, we try to, as often as we can, observe the Lord's Supper on the fifth Sunday. So that's why we're doing this today. I don't know, how many of y'all have ever taken the Lord's Supper, just by a show of hands? Okay, this is not rocket science to people, I understand, but I do believe sometimes it's important for us to look at the scriptures and see why it is so important. Because some people believe, well, that's just something you do in a Baptist church. Or that's just something you do in a Presbyterian or Episcopal or other church. I, I remember years ago when I was briefly in the Boy Scouts. And uh, we were meeting at a different denomination church. They were sponsoring our troop. And I, for some reason, we were taking the Lord's Supper in Scouts. I don't know if they encourage that or if that's still a thing. But I remember I was always used to the wafers... And the little, little cups of juice, right? So when we got there, there was, there was a pastor in a robe and, and they had one big goblet. And if I remember correctly, we just took a sip out of that. I know now you're going, oh, but that's the way they did it. So I'm like, Hey, where's those little cups? I always like those little cups. You'll see some of those today. And then, uh, after that, the bread was, it wasn't the little wafer that we hand out. It was one big loaf of bread and they would just pull off pieces and give it to you. I'm like, that ain't Baptist. And the truth of the matter is, is that, that that's okay. That's the way that denomination was doing that. But the, the form of how you do that is not as important as the matter of the heart. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because the church at Corinth, if we were to go back to when we were walking through this book, in chapter 11, there was not a lot of order going on in the church. There were people that were using their spiritual gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and challenging leadership. They were doing things, and it wasn't to make Christ glorified, it was to make themselves stand out, and that was for the wrong reason. So as we look at our passage today, and as you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll be reading in verse 17 in just one minute. You see, Paul was spending a lot of time educating the church on the importance of having order in their worship service. And I would say as a Southern Baptist church, we probably go way overboard to maybe too much order sometimes. Uh sometimes we get a little Bentecostal. So we may raise our hands or we may say an amen. But you know, the whole thing is is that it doesn't need to be something that distracts from the main audience in a worship service who is God Himself. And so Paul spoke about the spiritual gifts of prophecy and tongues with the importance of using them responsibly, but most importantly for the glory of God rather than themselves. You see, some people, you may be here today, some people think that the Lord's Supper is just a ritual that we should do every so often to make us feel more holy or to make us feel more righteous to God and maybe even to others, But we also see that some think that it's just something that's done at church, like combing your hair or brushing your teeth or taking out the trash. It's just a religious duty that you do. And then to some, it is a heartfelt remembrance of what Jesus sacrificed so our sins could be forgiven. But here's here's the point. When we come to the Lord's Supper, the value of the experience of the Lord's Supper for you I mean for you, not for me, not for the person beside you, but for you. The value of the experience of the Lord's Supper for you will be determined by the condition of your heart. You see, Paul writes to the Corinthians to address the abuses and liberties that some were using and taking as they were observing the Lord's Supper in Corinth. So, before we go, just one last thing before we start reading the scripture, I hope if you could, just for a moment, stop picturing the Lord's Supper as the Picasso painting called First Communion from 1896. Put that out of your brain. You've seen many beautiful, and there are beautiful paintings of, they're at this pristine table filled with food, and they are all 12 disciples are sitting there, and Jesus is in the middle of it. It is beautiful, but that's not how it went down. More than likely, they were in a room, and when they were having the Lord's Supper, there was more than, and I've thought this for a long time, but there was more than just bread and wine there. They had food. It was it was a tradition. We're gonna get into that into a minute. But if you would picture a room, picture a somewhat celebratory meeting. And so they're sitting there and the, the tables that they would sit at would be maybe knee high, maybe a little lower. And they would all be reclining around that table. They may be propped back on one arm. Or they may have had a lot of pillows around this. But it was a very laid back time of Jesus with his disciples. Now they were all there. That's important. But it wasn't. It doesn't look like what we picture because of what the artists have rendered. Again, those are not bad. But that's probably not the way it happened. It wasn't one long table. Where you've ever sat at a long table before, and you you notice that there's somebody down there you want to get their attention, but they're like ten chairs down, and you're like, pss, pss, pss. no. The disciples were sitting around a table, looking into each other's eyes, watching Jesus, and Jesus looking into their eyes. So now that I've kind of painted a more accurate biblical picture. For you and myself. Let's go in and look at some of the scriptures. The Corinthians were taking the Lord's Supper with unprepared hearts. Remember, this was a letter correcting the Corinthians. And so it says in verses 17 through 22. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. In other words, he's saying, I've I've got to tell you something that's going to sting a little bit. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done When you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe that. But of course, there must be divisions. Some translations say factions or heresies. So Paul says that there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized, what in the world is Paul saying there he 's saying first of all, Paul was saying that their worship was doing more harm than helping others when they were at the lord 's Supper, they were doing more harm than good. they were not gathering people to the kingdom, but they were scattering people. You know, we know because of what Paul says in chapter 1, that the church was divided. There were some that thought that certain preachers were better than the other preachers, and they took a lot of pride in that. It's almost like this is my church and every other church doesn't matter. And so they were together, but they were divided. And Paul noticed that. And notice when he says, he was saying this, it is good to have heresies. Or factions? Or divisions? What was he saying? Why would he say that it's good to have divisions? And he says, that's so you know who God is called. So in other words, to put it in just a plain way, when you have divisions, you can tell who's real and who's not. How do you tell whether somebody, a division or a denomination or a religion is, is true or just a cult or a false belief? Every single time, it's what do they do with Jesus? If Jesus is just one of the many gods, or if Jesus is a good teacher, or if Jesus is just simply rejected, then that is not Christianity. But if they believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and we must gain forgiveness of our sins, we can work with that. And that's what we need to look for. But verse 20 says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Oh, my goodness. There were people that were coming to worship that didn't really care about worship, but they were just coming there so they could see other people and be seen by other people. I know that never happens in churches today. But Paul helped them to identify why their hearts were unprepared to take the Lord's Supper. Now, he's starting to meddle here. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry, while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for that. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that you're coming to a covered dish event. Again, this was the Lord's Supper. They would, they would, the the bread and the wine will be a part of that. But this was a big covered dish, Baptist. It was a big covered dish. And people were bringing their own foods to this big old covered dish, Last Supper. And it says, for some of you are eating your own meal without sharing it with others. Now, that's just wrong. Because I know some of y'all make some very delicious dishes. And if you were to come to our covered dish and eat your what you brought and leave, I would be highly agitated. Just like somebody would be highly agitated if I got in the front line and took everything for myself and left y'all with nothing. But that's what was happening. Back in that day, the richer, more affluent people were allowed to go first. And you know yourself, if you ever have a buffet, if there's not somebody dealing it out then everybody's going to take more than they can probably eat, and then you're going to be the person at the end that's out of luck. Somewhere they were overhelping themselves, causing others to go without food. What he was saying is, folks, you're serving your hunger, and you're serving yourself, but you're not serving others. Kind of like there is nothing worse than being in a covered dish and counting the number of portions left with that number of people in line ahead of you, only to watch somebody double up and get the piece that was meant for you. Boy, that really encourages your prayer life, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, and that preacher got that last biscuit, I'm gonna get him. You know, it's funny how, how carnal Christians become when they get in the buffet line, right? But anyway, This is what was happening. This was the Last Supper. It was supposed to be a joyous time. It was a time for them to bring food so everyone could eat and everyone could enjoy. But also, some of those believers, they were only focused about their own good times, so all they wanted to do was eat as much as they could and get drunk. And, you know, getting drunk was what they always did before their conversion. There There were some that were converted from... The, the other religions of that day, and then so they didn't know any better. So if it's a party, they were going to party hard. They didn't know any better. And so what we see here is that for many of the people, the Lord's Supper was a religious exercise. It was a religious exercise, but not heartfelt Worship. And it is my prayer that when we come to the Lord's table, that we are doing this as an act of worship. Paul makes it clear, though, this is not how you should participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, this would be more applicable to us if we were to have a covered dish and then do this. We would see how Christian people are, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that they were not behaving well. They were putting their hunger, their needs, and their Social status above those who are lower and poorer than them. Verses 23 through 26. Paul instructs the Corinthian church on what the Lord's Supper should look like. He says, verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. So what he's saying here is either Jesus himself told him how the Lord's Supper went down, or he was talking to Apostles like Luke, who was very meticulous, he was a physician, and he could give them a play-by-play of how it went down that night in the upper room. He said, one night when he was betrayed, read that one more time, folks. One night when he was betrayed, yes, he was betrayed by one who supposedly loved him. So just a side note, if you've ever felt betrayed by somebody, just know that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. And I think it's really amazing. Jesus never called him out at this meeting. And also, he washed Judas' feet. Whew. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it. Gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The action of breaking bread represented what would happen at his death. Now, when we're, when we're going to do the Lord's Supper here in a moment, you're going to get the little Baptist cracker. And it's not a Baptist cracker, but most churches use those and most Baptist churches use those. Except when we were doing those COVID kits. You remember those COVID kits? Yeah. It was like a little piece of styrofoam, a little frisbee styrofoam disc that you peel back. And some some people are like, "What do I do with it?" Anyway, get focused, James. Um, so, the, the, what I was going to say is, is that the reason that bread is kind of like a, a a cracker, so to speak, is that there there is a whole there is a we could spend a whole nother service on just how the Lord's Supper was structured. But I'll tell you this: the bread that He broke. It wasn't the Hawaiian bread rolls you love from the grocery store. It wasn't the big, thick loaves that you like to buy when you go up to the Amish country or go to the jockey lot and all that kind of stuff like that. It was flat bread, just flat bread. It's called unleavened bread. What does that mean? It had no yeast in it. So it wouldn't have been this big, big, uh, bun or whatever or even White bread, it was flat bread that was cooked probably on a grill that had stripes in it that probably reminded Jesus of the stripes that he would bear for your sin and mine. And he took that flat bread and he would tear off pieces about the size of a quarter or a silver dollar and he would, he would pull those out. And what was the significance of it not being leavened bread? Leavened bread has yeast in it. Yeast in the Bible, time after time after time, is synonymous with meaning sin. This bread represented Jesus' body. Jesus' body that was sinless. That's important. That's why the cracker is flat. Then the Last Supper was actually, it started as a celebration after the Passover meal. If you don't remember what the Passover meal was, I'm not going to go into great detail, but if you go back to your Old Testament and you read about what was the final straw that got God's people out of Egypt, it was the Passover. Because um, Moses told Pharaoh, look, if you don't let my people go, the death angel is going to go from door to door all through Egypt, and anyone who does not sacrifice a lamb and paint the doorjamb with the blood, their firstborn would be killed. So what happened is, is that the death angel came to Egypt that night. And if there was blood on the door jamb, he passed over that house to go to the next one. Can you imagine somebody that either didn't hear about that deal, or even those that thought it was just a bunch of googly gook, and they wake up and find their firstborn dead? Needless to say, there were people dead in the palace, and there were people dead in the poorest of poor places, and they said, "That's enough. We want the Egyptians. I mean, we want the Israelites out of here." And so they didn't really have a chance anymore. They had to leave because of the passover. There was no more dealing with it. They had to be on the run. It says in verse 25, "In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, "This is the cup, is the new covenant between God and His people." An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Check this out. Verse 26. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. What this is saying here is although I am raising my voice and I am speaking to you as if what this passage says, this says that when in just a few moments, when we pass out the bread, when we pass out the grape juice, okay, it's grape juice. When we pass that out, you are going to be preaching a sermon. It is no different than if somebody is in the baptistry and they show what God has done in their hearts by going through the ordinance of baptism. You are showing what's going on in your heart through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. You are partaking in the same supper that they have taken with. And so the... When he says, do this in remembrance of me, I want you to understand, this was a command. Jesus commanded this. So to not take the Lord's Supper is an act of disobedience. He said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. This new covenant was the fact that we no longer had to be under the old sacrificial system of the old laws of the Old Testament and the the Ten Commandments because there is no way we could keep those intact and be perfect. And God knew that. That is why he sent his sinless son, Jesus Christ, to take our sins upon him. And the wrath and the punishment that was meant for us, God redirected it right to his son. And he bore it so we wouldn't have to. And, uh, you know, just give me just a couple of minutes here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something that you may care about, you may not care about. But when you look at the Lord's Supper, there's two different views of it, of the, the bread and the wine. And these are words that you're not gonna impress anybody if you say them, but I just wanted you to hear it. There's transubstantiation and consubstantiation. If you can say those words, you will get a cookie after the... No, just kidding. But what I want you to understand is, under transubstantiation, that is the doctrine that is predominantly in the Roman Catholic Church, that believe that when you take the Lord's Supper, that that wine and that bread literally becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It transforms from whatever form it was in into actually being... The body of Christ. That is why many Catholics believe that, that the Lord's Supper communion is necessary for salvation. Because you are, you are partaking of, you are taking part of His body and drops of His blood. Then there's consubstantiation. It's the view that the bread and the wine and the communion are spiritually the flesh and blood of Jesus. In other words, it's not literally going to transform into that, but it is a spiritual reference of that. Martin Luther, one of the, the key Reformation leaders, uh, first penned that, "...the bread does not become the body of Jesus, but it co-exists with the body of Christ, so that the bread is both the bread and the body of Jesus." But under that, communion is not necessary for salvation. It is accomplished in Christ alone. And when we take communion today, if you look at our Baptist faith and message, if you look in the Scriptures, if you look at why we do it the way we do it, we are in that consubstantiation mode. We don't believe that that literally becomes Christ's body, literally becomes His blood, but spiritually it signifies what He has done for us. Now, I'm going to move on. Okay, The Lord's Supper is an act of worship. So what that means is, is that if we are taking the bread and we are taking the juice and we are agreeing that this is an act of worship and that we are agreeing that the Spirit of God is in us and we are agreeing that we want to remember what Christ died for and what He did on that night in the upper room, that means spiritually He is here. It is not some form of His body. The Holy Spirit is here. So when we, the reason we look so solemn and the reason everybody gets the game face on is I hope that people are praying to God and reflecting on what He's done for us because He is here when we are worshiping and we are observing the Lord's Supper with the right heart. Then the Lord's Supper forces us to look at ourselves. Check this out. Verses 27 through 32. This is something that I even learned, okay? So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty against the body and the blood of the Lord. So in other words, if, if you make a mockery of this Lord's Supper, you are mocking God. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick And some have died. Yes, God was done with them, and He was killing them because they were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. God takes the Lord's Supper seriously. And He's saying, look, when you come to the Lord's Supper, be honest with yourself and take it in a worthy manner. And here's the thing I want to say is that often I've been taught and I've heard that that means, well, if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't take it. You ever heard that? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody's gonna raise their hand. Okay, thank you. There's, there's five brave people, and then others that just didn't want to raise their hand. That's fine. I've heard it all my life too, but the thing is, is that, what do you do with the fact that Judas was at the Lord's Supper? He's not talking about whether you are personally worthy of taking the Lord's Supper, because I got news for you. You're not! You are not worthy to take the Lord's Supper today. Your pastor is not worthy to take the Lord's Supper today. What he's talking about is being worthy to take the Lord's Supper is making sure that you're not like these guys and gals that were putting themselves first. They were shunning others and they just wanted to get it over with so they could go to the next thing. They were making a mockery of worship and a mockery of God which made their Lord's Supper experience unworthy and infuriated God they were taking the things of his lightly and he was punishing them for him so if you say well I'm not going to take it today because I'm not worthy well then we just might as well keep all the all the juice and all the crackers up here and not pass them out because nobody is worthy but yet even Jesus knew his betrayer sat at his table and instead of calling him out he said here take this piece of bread, drink this wine, do this in remembrance of me. Was he legit? No. There's nothing in Scripture that says that Judas was saved. He was that religious guy that was hanging around Jesus and said all the right things, did all the right things, but his heart was far from Jesus. And so I think it's important to say that Paul isn't referring to personal worthiness. No one is worthy of salvation. That's why the Bible calls the gift or the salvation of God a gift. It is a gift that we did not earn, but we must receive. God in His mercy is not going to give us the punishment for sin that we deserve. Instead, as I said a moment ago, He places that wrath upon the sinless Son, the Lamb of God. Judas, his betrayer, was dining with him. He was personally, he was unworthy. And yet Jesus welcomed him to the table, maybe even for one last chance for Judas to repent from what he was about to do. I think bottom line is people had lost the worship weight of the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying that we have to be sitting here looking like we drank. We, sw- we swapped the, the grape juice, the prune juice, and we all need to sit here with scowls on our face or anything like that. But I'm just saying it's a serious thing. It's an act of worship. It's a holy thing. And it's a time for you to look at your life and what Christ has done for you. And it's a time kind of to, to re-up, so to speak. Or if there's new commitments that need to be made, you and God can have that conversation right there. And so, as you drink the wine, as you as you take the bread, He is right there with you. It's a beautiful thing. He takes us back to the upper room, and we're there with Him, sharing in that. Paul is writing to the church to assure them that their salvation is is secure, but their perspective. Their reverence and their fear of God has gone. And he encourages them to repent and return to their former devotion to God. So as we wrap this thing up, let's look at verses 33 and 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 33 and 34. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. When we approach the Lord's Supper, we must have a reverence for Jesus. We must have a reverence for ourselves. The Lord's Supper is for His benefit. Not yours. It's about showing your love to him. So we have the reverence for Jesus, reverence for ourselves, and reverence for others. If you wait for one another, everyone gets enough to eat. Don't let your selfishness and lack of respect for the Lord's Supper bring judgment on yourself and others. The Lord's Supper is a time of thanksgiving and anticipation of Jesus' return. So let's give thanks to Jesus together today as we observe the Lord's Supper.